Joint pain is a common complaint among people of all ages. It can be caused by a variety of factors, including wear and tear, injury, and disease. Today, I am joined by Dr. Craig Mahoney, orthopedic surgeon at Iowa Ortho and Mercy One Central Iowa orthopedic physician lead. How are you doing today, Dr. Mahoney? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm well, can't complain. So today we are going to talk about knee and hip pain, also known as joint pain. I don't want to just kick it off maybe with what is joint pain? Thanks for having me. Generally speaking, I would say you define the pain based on the location anatomically, and then it's up to the physician to try and figure out if the location coincides with the area of problem or the pathology or whether it could be coming from a different spot. So what causes it? When I think about my joints, you know, and especially like my knees and my hips, I use those to exist, right? Like we use our knees constantly. So is there like a wear and tear that kind of causes overall joint pain? In each one of those anatomic positions, we tend to think about things in terms of the age of the patient. An older patient comes in and uh, they give a history of, I can't walk as far as I used to. I have achiness. When I sit or when I lay down, my pain tends to get better. Nine times out of 10, that patient's going to have arthritis. Now in the you know, sort of younger middle-aged population, things that can cause joint pain include meniscus injuries. The meniscus is a cartilage structure, but it's a different kind of cartilage. It's actually called fibrocartilage as opposed to articular cartilage. Certain movements, certain injuries can cause meniscus tears, and there are a given number of etiologies for that. Trauma is the most common, but I think there are people with a propensity to, to you know, tear their meniscus. Ligament injuries in the knees can happen in our, you know, younger to middle-aged athletic population. But honestly, another thing we think about are labral injuries. So the labrum is a structure around the hip that actually distributes force. To a certain degree, you can think of it like the meniscus. They're not the same, but it's kind of the same fibrocartilage. And depending on the anatomy of the patient and the etiology of the, the symptoms, those patients might have labral injuries. And then in our younger folks, that's more typically more traumatic in nature. It's more, I had an episode, I fell, I was playing sports. I came with a distinctive episode that leads us to either examine them in a certain way, order more tests or both. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit specifically about knee pain. When people come in and they're experiencing knee pain, pain can feel a lot of different ways. It can be like burning, achy, dull, like that acute persistent pain. Is there a type of pain really kind of makes your eyebrows go up and you're like, Ooh, that's kind of a concern. To make sure no one is self-diagnosing with something that they think is, you know, catastrophic or, you know, life-threatening, I would tell you that we all have different perceptions of our pain. That said, if someone comes in and their leg, let's say it's not their hip or their knee, but they they sort of say, you know, I've got this burning pain that travels from the top part of my leg down, and it may be associated with numbness or tingling. Burning pain is oftentimes associated with a nerve issue. If your nerve is being pinched in your back, that's the area of problem. So your sensation is based on which nerve is actually being pinched. And your perception of that may be that it's down my leg. But then when the doctor pushes on the knee in the area generally where the patient is complaining of discomfort, they say that, you know, that doesn't make it any worse. Oftentimes I'll have people come in with knee and shin pain. 
And they'll say, you know, why does it hurt down here? Well, it's just because, you know, there's no, there's no padding up above and it's radiating down your leg. You know, the hip and the back, which we just spoke of, are anatomically very close together. So it, it is sometimes challenging for doctors to figure out, you know, is this really a hip problem or is this a, knee or a, a back problem? So, you know, those I've heard people say it aches, it's like a toothache. Oftentimes after we do a joint replacement, patients will say, you know, you know, I'm, I'm having some discomfort from the surgical approach, but that toothache pain that I had before surgery is gone. And so that's a reassuring sign because that toothache oftentimes can be associated with arthritis. When you were talking about nerves, something went off in my head. When I was looking up about knee pain and hip pain and um, joint pain overall, a lot of the questions that I saw coming up over and over again was how the sciatic nerve was related to hip and knee pain. Do you, can you talk a little on that? Yeah, so uh, your sciatic nerve is a large nerve that travels down the back of your thigh, and it is actually a coalescence of smaller nerves that exit out of your back. And so those nerves come out as nerve roots, and then they create this very large nerve called the sciatic. And then as the sciatic travels down the leg, depending on the level it will send off branches to different muscles and, and send off sensory nerves and those kind of things. Sciatic nerve pain, again, would be a pain that radiates down typically the back of your leg uh, in your buttock and down your leg. Again, it could come from, you know, compression or pinching up above in the back, or again, there could be inflammation around the nerve itself, which could be perceived by the patient as an aching pain or even a burning pain that travels down the back. So that's more what I would expect to see in someone with sciatic nerve problems. Got it. Interesting. Where does it go from normal wear and tear? As you get older, you're going to have a little bit of more aches and pains to like, this is an issue and you know, it is inhibiting your life and you, we should take some steps to help alleviate that pain? People come to me through different channels and present to orthopedic surgeons through different channels. So, you know, I think conventionally speaking, a lot of people will use their primary care physician as a resource. So I'm 55 and let's say I walk my dog a couple miles every morning and I start to get towards the end of my dog walking episode and my knees are aching a little bit. It's not uncommon for those people to present to their primary care physician or their orthopedic doctor and give that history. And I think that's reasonable to do because low impact exercise like walking is something that we should all attempt to do throughout our lives. So the work up there would include things like examining, looking at the motion of the knee, looking at an x-ray and hearing the story. But those are typically the things I see when patients typically present. Now, it, you know, fast forward, we have a lot of tricks to be able to take care of those things that don't involve surgery which is great because most people don't come to the doctor wanting to have a surgery. And I would say that if we go through the non-operative treatments, you know, whether it's medical or pills or whether it's injections or therapy or other non-operative modalities and that patient has continued pain or the pain continues to get worse and the radiographic results show us arthritis that's getting worse, uh, this is a more serious thing because we've tried all of this stuff without surgery and lo and behold, it's not working. And you're changing your lifestyle based on this. And, you know, when you're in your 50s, I'm in my 50s. If you start to give away an activity, if you start to say, well, I'm not going to walk my dog anymore. I'm going to do something different. 
then you may lose that ability to walk your dog two miles, right? So if, if that's my habit, then, you know, when I go back and think six months from now, my knee's going to feel better and I'm going to walk my dog. Just as an example, you may not be able to, and that might be something that you want to do through your lifetime. So when you're changing your life to fit your arthritic condition, that's that's sort of an inflection point for many people when they start to say, hey, look, I don't want to do that. I want to walk my dog. I want to be active. I want to be able to hike in the mountains or things like that. And, and, and so we get those questions. And then, you know, the physician has to address that and say, well, if these things aren't attainable with the current, you know, strategies that we've outlined, then you know, is there anything else? And and more often than not, we can do things for patients that allow them to be able to continue to do those activities. But, you know, your original question was, you know, what's serious? I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the serious nature of that is sort of, you know, giving away an activity that, you know, you look at your friends and say, well, my next door neighbor's doing and and so I want to continue to do that. That's that's probably the the first visit in a lot of instances. Would you say that people usually come in at the right time or do they kind of come in maybe a little later than you wish you could have gotten them? I see people very early in the disease process. And a lot of those folks are saying, hey, look, what can I do to maintain my lifestyle? What can I do to sort of lower my risk of needing to have a surgery down the road? And I think those are all very good visits. I also see people who are very late in the game who have very significant arthritis on their x-rays, who may be losing a lot of their mobility and motion. We live in a rural state of farming communities, and it's not uncommon for us to see people who farm just keep going and and come in with, you know, some malaligned joints and, uh, and some impressive arthritis. They haven't perceived it to be a problem. They continue to work and they're, you know, oftentimes these are really you know, salt of the earth, really uh, strong-willed people that just want to keep going. So we talked a little bit about some things that can treat knee pain. We talked a little bit about injectables and that kind of stuff. I want to talk a little bit about those and also just like what can people do at home? Say they have a doctor's appointment scheduled and they're going to come in, but their knee pain is really bothering them right now. If someone wants to treat the, you know, their, their pain with either cold or hot, I would say, you know, the heat probably works best if they're on the front side of an activity. Um, so if you're getting ready to do an activity, certainly ice isn't bad, but you may feel stiff before you do your activities. So you're going to have to warm up. Whereas if you put a warm pad, let's say on your knee, your range of motion will probably be optimized that way if you are stiff. Um, I think at night or after an event, it's probably better to use ice because there'll be some inflammation. And if you want that inflammation to go away, but again, uh, with ice, you could expect a little bit of stiffness after that. There are many over-the-counter anti-inflammatories available. Obviously, if you go into a, a pharmacy around central Iowa, you're going to see multiple oral medications, ibuprofen, Aleve, those types of things are, are all very available. We also have topical anti-inflammatories. Anti-inflammatory medications are the most effective medical or medicine-based way to, to treat arthritis. Certainly, Tylenol is a good pain reliever, but it doesn't have a significant anti-inflammatory quality. So that's that's something to keep in mind, but it, it, you know, safe when taken by direction, as long as you've not been told not to take Tylenol. So that's one arm therapy, low impact exercise. Those things are great for people. So many patients I see come in deconditioned because their arthritis has led them to lead a less active lifestyle. Oftentimes that's associated with weight gain. And those things are really bad for arthritis, especially arthritis in the knees. Um, I usually recommend people to do exercise, bike, swimming, 
or even elliptical. I'm a big fan of low impact exercise, both from a muscle strengthening standpoint, but also weight maintenance. Because if I get some exercise, it's easier to make that that math look better. We do a lot of injections in our office, both of hips and knees. Steroids are kind of the the workhorse, and it's simply because they're the most inexpensive and most uniformly accepted by insurance plans. So people typically, we don't need to get authorization for injections. And they can be effective in the hips, I would say, across the board, maybe not as effective as knee injections, but still could be utilized. There are also things called visco supplements, which are on the market. I would say across the board, those are not necessarily as effective as steroids, generally speaking. And yet when I have a patient in my office who is desperately trying to avoid surgery, that is certainly something we can try. And I've had some success with it. Again, I would say it's not probably as successful as steroid, but still worth a try. And uh, we also are doing some platelet-rich plasma injections in our office. Most insurance plans are not covering that. So there is a charge associated with that, but that's another option for those folks that come in that don't want surgery. And again, you know, I alluded to this before, but the people who end up in surgery are the ones I believe that have gone through this whole, you know, first four or five steps and have kind of created a relationship in many instances with their doctor or surgeon in this case, and sort of decided together we are mutually deciding that, you know, in most instances that surgery is the right thing for the patient. And, and those are the folks that end up going to surgery. We're talking a lot about knee pain and I kind of want to shift to hip pain. Is there a difference when dealing with the two just in like the causes or are they pretty, can they be pretty similar? Yeah, that's a great question. So we still see wear and tear arthritis in the hips. But interestingly, we've been able to correlate patients' hip pain and hip arthritis likely more to a genetic predisposition or even a structure. So how we were made, how we sort of positioned during you know birth and how we were positioned in our, our mother's uterus ultimately can lead hips to be shaped slightly different. But there is a familial or a genetic predisposition there. So I would say more people with hip arthritis have a predisposition to that than those folks with knee arthritis. I think knee arthritis is very sensitive to patients' body habitus. So if people struggle with their weight, they might have an increased risk or probably will have an increased risk with knee arthritis where that there's still an association with the hips, but I don't believe it's quite as strong. Nonetheless, hip arthritis, we talked a little bit about, oftentimes people will complain of stiffness. There will still be these exacerbating events, you know, heavy activities, running, jumping, those kind of things all contribute. Most of the hip replacement or hip pain patients will come in with pain in the front of their hip or in their groin. I've seen a lot of people who are older who said, oh, I pulled my groin, it just didn't go away. And then lo and behold, they have arthritis when we check their x-ray. But I would say, yeah, it's a good question that, that they do tend to present in slightly different ways. So is the treatment for hip pain similar with, I know you mentioned injectables in the hips. So yeah. Yeah. So again, I think, you know, on the front side of that, again, over-the-counter preparations, the same ones I mentioned before. Across the board, people with hip arthritis probably don't benefit quite as much from physical therapy. Certainly the patients who are deconditioned would still benefit from therapy, but I would say to a person, therapy probably has less influence on how people respond or with arthritis in the hip as opposed to the knee. We talked about the injections. I would also say that the injections in the hips, 
uh, certainly can be utilized. I do those in my own practice. And then we can still use the steroids. The, the Visco supplement products are not available in the hip because it hasn't been approved by insurance. It just doesn't seem to have as, as much benefit, we think. And I've done some PRP in the hips, so that's that's something we could still consider. But again, it's it's a very similar pathway up to the point of deciding, okay, we've done enough and yeah, we're really having trouble and it's time to do surgery. What are the benefits of total joint replacement surgery? Yeah. So in the appropriate patient, I think again, you know, you've got to, you've got to select the right people and the right people are those folks that have tried and failed all of those non-operative treatments that we've discussed. They are changing their life to fit their arthritic joint as opposed to, you know, sort of changing their arthritic joint to fit their life, right? When someone can't get comfortable at rest, then I think those things are, are pretty solid indications that surgery would be a discussion point. I think the vast majority of surgeries are indicated in patients that decide that's what they want. They need to be educated themselves. And I think the education comes either through the physician they're with or, you know, online, be careful of some of the online resources, obviously, but if you're at a good website, then I think you can educate yourself regarding joint replacement. And I think for most people that end up with joint replacement, you know, their life is better after they have their joint replacement. Like they would uniformly say, I would do this again, certainly 90 or 95% of people that end up with a hip or knee replacement would come back, you know, after their recovery and say, yeah, I'd do this again. This was a meaningful thing, but choosing the right patient and choosing a patient who you think can successfully navigate the post-operative course without having a complication, I think are super important as well. So we spend a fair amount of time in our clinic talking to people about optimizing health issues, cardiac issues, you know, any other things, but oftentimes it does involve a modification of weight, you know, we're trying to make sure that people can create a successful pathway without getting an infection or without having a mechanical complication. And unfortunately, weight in many studies has been tied to those complications. So we're, we're very wary of that. What are everyday lifestyle changes that people can take today to help their joint health and, you know, help protect them? I would say, you know, maintaining an active lifestyle that's appropriate for your body, get involved in a low impact exercise program, commit to 15, 20 minutes a day, or up to 30 minutes a day on an exercise bike in a swimming pool, or optimally both alternating, you know, which will do a couple of things. It will maintain muscle mass, which is very important from a patient's perception of their arthritis pain. If their joints are more well-controlled, with good muscles, they are not going to perceive as much discomfort associated with their activities. So that's, that's an advantage, but also, you know, increasing your metabolic activity, I think helps you maintain or lower your weight. And so I think maintaining a lifestyle, I think we just have to be realistic that we have certain capabilities that, you know, we have based on our age or based on the mileage on our bodies and trying to identify what an appropriate amount of activity is in those situations, I think is important. And it just depends on what your background is. And, and again, what your expectations are. Is there anything else you want people to know about knee, hip and joint pain that we haven't covered? Don't be afraid to call your primary care physician. Don't be afraid to call your orthopedic surgeon. It may be a single visit. It may be educational. Again, I'm a big, big, big believer in exercise. I think exercise is the most valuable drug we could ever supply patients. There's so many things about exercise we still don't understand. 
you're not going to go from zero to 60. Don't do that because then you'll end up stopping and you'll be right back to where you started. But, but yeah, I appreciate the time with you. It's been fun to chat about knees and hips. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a great conversation. I appreciate it.